Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, where we are joined by our very good friend, Jenny Colgan. Now, Jenny Colgan is, well, she's done a bit of stand-up, but she is mostly well-known for being a writer, a writer of romantic comedy fiction and of science fiction. If you are a fan of Doctor Who, then you may well know her. She's written all sorts of spin-offs and audiobooks and stuff for Doctor Who. We might get into that in the first fact today, spoiler alert, uh, but what we'd like to let you know about most of all is that Jenny has a brand new book it is called The Summer Skies and if it is anything like Jenny's other work it is going to be absolutely fantastic just perfect for a summer holiday and you can get that wherever you buy your books on top of that, the usual stuff. Do join Club Fish if you want a bit of extra fish in your life and some ad-free episodes. And if you go to nosuchthingsafish.com forward slash podfest, then you will find that there are one or two, really not many at all, tickets left for our show at King's Place in September. We are on the verge of booking an amazing guest for that. I promise you, you will not want to miss it. If you can't get down to London, then there are streaming tickets available. Okay, really hope you enjoy this week's show. And all that's left to say is on with the podcast. Welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Hoburn. My name is Dan Schreiber. I am sitting here with James Harkin, Andrew Hunter-Murray, and Jenny Colgan. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with fact number one, and that is Jenny. There is, on Doctor Who, a Dalek named after a Dickens character. <laughs> wow. Highbrow. I learnt this fact for money. <laughs> or not actually for points, really, because one of my kids' teachers is a great Dickens fan. And he said to the kids, if you bring me a Dickens fact that I haven't heard before, there's something in it for you. Mm. So I kind of put it out to the world, uh, which was kind of fun. And actually, the, the most Dickens facts that everybody knows, one, he's the first person ever to talk about dinosaurs in oh, fiction. Is he? I did not know that. There is huh. a reference to a dinosaur on page one of Bleak House. Oh. Uh, and then the other thing that most people know is that Hans Christian Andersen came to mm. stay with him yes. on holiday and was the worst guest ever. Yeah. And they both wrote about it in their diaries with Hans going, oh, I'm feeling so weary. And Dickens going, how do we get this guy out of our house? <laughs> um, so these, obviously the teacher knew these very famous facts. But what he did not know is a friend of mine who's an actor plays a Dalek on Doctor Who and they tend to keep the same people because obviously it's quite skilled and you tend to be in the same Dalek casing because they're really small and it's not very pleasant to spend 10 hours in a really small yeah. space. Mm. So you have your own Dalek and the Dalek is named after you in the props cupboard. And my friend is called Barnaby and he's named after Barnaby Rudge and so there is <laughs> in the BBC wow. Dalek Barnaby Dalek Barnaby going so to thine sir I must exterminate you yeah that's amazing so yeah right. so for anyone that doesn't know Doctor Who James I'm looking at you uh, um, yeah I'm afraid I don't you know what the Daleks are though yeah they're, they're like little robots are they <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're a tall villain oh, uh, so tall so yeah they're tall they're, they're not little when we say little they're about yeah but if I had to describe 
describe a Dalek, the first word I would go with wasn't, oh, they're quite tall. The guy over there, what, can you describe him? Yeah, he's tall. <laughs> no, he's got a sink puncher coming out of his torso. Can you tell me anything about the criminal who came over and tried to exterminate you? Well, yeah, first of all, he was tall. <laughs> I was simply addressing your first point of saying they're small. I was simply hitting that off as a busted myth straight away. Okay, so then... Let's let Jenny do it. She knows Doctor Who. paper pot, they're tall. Yeah. Ah, right. <laughs> and they're kind of, uh, they have a, a kind of plunger at the front and they are in fact they look like they're the monsters but they're not they are kind of strange creatures inside oh. used to be people so they're like a tank for a that is exactly what they're yeah. like yes. and when you say pepper pot i read that when they were designed the person who decided how they would move used the pepper pot um, to kind of move around the table and say, this is how they'll move. Is that oh, true? Yeah. I think it is. It was it Ray Kusick yeah. who designed the look of the... It's really weird, the story of how they were come up with, because the creator was Terry Nation, yeah. who was involved in working on the very early scripts, and he just described them in the script, but he didn't really describe them very much. And then Terry Nation was... He just sorry, said tall. He said just <laughs> tall aliens. <laughs> <laughs> and then Ray Kusick took the job to design them, and he worked with a model maker called Bill Roberts, and they actually... They're the ones who built the look, as far as I understand it. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah, and Terry Nation, though, holds the, as it were... But they belong the to The copyright. Yes. They belong yeah, to him. Well, he became hugely wealthy well, because, course, he, yeah. because he owned the copyright to Daleks, and so... Um, and, and to the point where when the new series came back all those years ago with Russell T. Davies, mm. the first one with Christopher Eccleston, we didn't know if we were going to get the Daleks back because the Terry Nation estate said, well, yeah. we don't know if this is going to be... Really so funny about it, yeah. they had to consider really? that the Daleks would not return with Doctor Who. And That's what amazing. is the very first thing the Daleks do? And then when they come back, oh, I know this one. I actually know this one because that's the, one of the very little bits of Doctor Who I've seen. They go up some stairs. They fly up yeah. the stairs. Do it they? was in such a lovely moment when oh. kind of Rose escapes up the stairs and the whole country's going, aha! <laughs> <laughs> the one thing I know about Daleks, so, and then they yeah. levitate. Yeah. I'd love to know if your friend Barnaby, if he's been in the same Dalek for all these years, whether or not it's like when you go into a, a small biplane and, you know, the person's got a picture of their kids up on the, yeah. the some, some dice, you know. Is he inside? Yeah. Have they got all these little mementos? The lady so, Dalek. Yeah. <laughs> um, th this is not the only literary reference that made its way into Doctor Who. Oh. Um, the very first companion of the very first series of Doctor Who uh, was Ian Chesterton. And Ian Chesterton was named after G.K. Chesterton because the original scriptwriter for the show, Coburn, was a devout Catholic and a massive fan of Chesterton. Oh, really? And so gave him that name. Yeah, so Chesterton made it in as well. And Dickens is the first historical figure that turns up oh, in New Who. Really? Wow. So he's in the second episode, I think. Of the, of the original series? Of the new series. Of the new, of the new series. series. Oh, which, of course, isn't new anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, like, really old. Right. As played, of course, by Simon Callow, who has played Dickens so often, I get them very muddled up in my head. <laughs> yeah. Dan, you just said the first oh, sorry. companion was named after who? G.K. Chesterton. G.K. Chesterton. Yeah. I, so I've got... I thought the first assistant was the Doctor's granddaughter. Are, are we confusing companion and oh assistant? Oh my god! I'm sorry. We're get letters. As the one who does the inbox, I just feel <laughs> yeah. like I did, I did a pub quiz recently, and the quizmaster she said we had a Doctor Who quiz in here last week, and I barely got out alive. And I just, like, Famously, the quickest way to end a punch up in a pub quiz is to ask how many Doctor Who's there've been. Oh. <laughs> Luckily, your inbox is bigger on the inside. Isn't it? <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah, that might be a technicality because the granddaughter is the granddaughter. Right, right, right. Does she count? The brief was really interesting for the for the casting. It was um, she had to be a with it girl of fifteen, reaching the end of her secondary school career, eager for life, lower than middle class. Avoid dialect. Use neutral accent laced with the latest teenage slang. <laughs> that was the gig. Wow. Hey, cat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then she was made his granddaughter because it was... Was it William Hartnell, the first one? It was, yeah. And it was to avoid any suggestion of... This is a bit weird, isn't it? This old bloke travelling around with a 15-year-old girl. <laughs> you know, What's they were going on? really careful with that for so long. In fact, right up until I started <laughs> writing for it and I started... Did you change it? <laughs> <laughs> but no, when I went to see them, they were really... Because I write romantic right. comedy and they were really quite funny. Like, you know, we can't have any kissing or anything mm. like that and I was like fine I, I promise you I'm a devotee I will not do any of that then the show completely changed and actually Matt Smith spends pretty much his whole time being naked or getting married to folk by mistake or you know they, they, they suddenly really? became a massive There's romantic a kiss, overtones which never all the time yeah that? Um, yes. faking interest <laughs> <laughs> did, he, did he get his hearts broken oh I can acknowledge yes. yes I just kind of slip in anything <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! Uh, I did read that there have been Doctor Who top trumps over the years. Mm. This is interesting because I do know about top trumps. Uh, and Pack Six has a lot of bad guys in, including Adolf Hitler. And if you put <laughs> Pack Six against Pack Seven, you can fight Adolf Hitler against Queen Elizabeth the First. So I want you to guess. <laughs> Who is the bravest out of Adolf Hitler or Queen Elizabeth I, according to Top Trumps? Oh, um, Elizabeth. Yeah, agreed, okay. uh, everyone. Uh, I'll say, I'll say, I'll, I'll say the minority. Yeah, folk, sorry. Like, Are you voting this... for Hitler? Andy? Just, just checking. <laughs> I yeah. just want you okay. to say it out loud that yes. you think Hitler, I think Hitler was braver, braver, <laughs> not better. Uh, I'll, I'll, say, I'll say Hitler to no, Brian's you're wrong. In fact, bravery was his lowest possible thing. Like, oh. He was good in lots of the things, but the bravery was the worst. Um, who do you think is the strongest out of Hitler or Queen Elizabeth I, I, oh, well, I got I got completely Elizabeth ambushed I last time. I'm going to say Elizabeth I. <laughs> Stronger? Yeah. She's the strongest. Yeah. Uh, and Hitler wins on brains and terror. Okay. Just a thing. Rare, like, rare victory for Hitler. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. He, he can spend his entire episode locked in a cupboard. Does he? <laughs> so I could have got you to the bravery thing, but the uh, brains oh, one right. slightly defeats me. What's Hitler's episode of Doctor Who? It's called Let's it? Kill Hitler. Oh, wow. <laughs> really? Gosh. Um, one of the first... Uh, people involved in the BBC side of things. It was a guy called Sidney Newman, who was mm-hmm. the head of drama. He was a really interesting guy. So there was a play that was broadcast in his career called Underground, right? And it was about a, a group of nuclear holocaust survivors living in the London Underground. I think this was early 60s or late 50s. Like it was quite, you know, it, yeah. sounds, it sounds very terrifying and, and dramatic. Uh, but it was a live broadcast, and one of the actors in it died oh. of a heart attack halfway through the television screening. Off stage, what? so oh. he wasn't on camera, uh-huh. but it was in between scenes. Basically, he was in oh. costume and makeup, and you know he died. And the play had to improvise its way through. And Newman was kind of in charge of it. He said, "Just treat it like a football match. Just play on, wow. adjust." Yeah. Oh, so it wasn't like there's been a murder. 
like they they didn't shift the whole thing to the <laughs> I don't know like what? really death for kids. Can I just say if someone dies in the middle of a football match, they do stop the game. <laughs> that's a very good point. That's a very good point. Um, well, that's the Dan. That's the weird thing. The character was meant to die of a heart attack later in the play. The oh, character, yeah, not yeah. the actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So I guess they, they just had to the shift actor. it. <laughs> what a gig to <laughs> agree to. <laughs> this will require you dying. <laughs> it is going out on BBC One, so you've got to think of your career. Peter Capaldi, I think, auditioned for Doctor Who and got the role, but he got it 20 years later. So he auditioned in 1996 when they were casting for the... F- they made a film, didn't they, then? And that was... Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And lots of people auditioned. Michael Palin, Eric Idle, Rick Mail. Oh, wow. Good. Rick would have been great. Although great. you need to be kind of kind to be the Doctor, and I think he was a very <laughs> kind man in real life, mm, but yeah. on screen he was terrifying was at anarchic. all times. Yeah. So. Mm. Um, uh, others who auditioned, Brian Blessed? No. No. <laughs> Do you know what? There's a certain. I think it's about English tolerance for Brian Blessed, and I have not inherited wow, the, been the gene. Right. I can't, you know, I, I, I get it. Everybody loves him. It's one of those English things that I don't yeah. get, like freaking Tim Henman. Do you think Candy would make a good Doctor Who? I think he would. <laughs> I think you. Yes. I, let me see your fingers. Hold up your wow. fingers. <laughs> Yeah, okay. What, um, what, sorry, what are you looking for there? They've all got really long fingers. Have oh. they? Oh. Is that oh. a requirement? Wow. A requirement. Yeah. Maybe that's why Capaldi got the gig 20 years on. He was older. Fing- taller. <laughs> fingers longer fingers. Uh, actually, the very nice thing is Shooty, who is the new Doctor Who, is mm. also mm. Scottish, so we've had the most sensational ah. run of it. Yes, mm. that's true. In five, yeah. One of the most famous things about Doctor Who is the fact that during the 1950s and 60s, uh, or even to the 70s, about 60 to 70% of all BBC video that had recordings yeah. of shows were deleted. And so we're missing, It's it was over 100 episodes of Doctor Who. It's, it's slowly going a bit slow. I think it's under the 100 mark now, purely because there is a dedicated group of fans who are out there in the world trying to track down all of these missing mm. episodes. And it's fascinating. Every few years we get a message that comes through from fans online saying, another's been found. The BBC will say, nine found in Nigeria in the cupboard <laughs> of a random TV, yeah. local TV station. And they just find the reels, do they? Yeah, they find the old... Huh. Yeah, because what they used to do is they used to send out all of these reels to different countries, oh. but explicitly would say once you've had it for this many months there's an expiry date on it yeah, and burn yeah, them yeah. up I, no. I have a, yeah I have at home I have a vinyl record of a goon show episode <laughs> called Yeti which says on it smash this in three months time here's the expiry date <gasps> yeah, and yeah. someone just hadn't smashed is that it. where the Mission Impossible films got the this message will self-destruct in five seconds or whatever could be. Could, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. No, I don't know either. It might be, yeah. but yeah, but so we still have like 97 episodes that are still missing, oh, so but they keep getting If found. you find one, is it worth like a million quid or something? Or... Hmm, that's interesting. It, yeah, I don't it, know. Not really. No. It kind of belongs to the BBC still, and also it's, it's such it. a kind of proper Indiana Jones sleuthathon. You know, yeah. people have dedicated extraordinary amounts of time to this thing. Wow. Um, it would I be think... seen as bad if you put it on eBay straight away and... <laughs> Yes, it okay. would be seen as bad. But also, I think the, the kind of glory and honour of finding it. The missing ones, they're, they've kind of animated them. Uh, do they have the scripts, cool. then? They've got the scripts. Right, OK, nice. cool. Um, when you think of Doctor Who, largely it's the villains of the the old Doctor Who, the Daleks and so on. Cyberman. The, and Cyberman, thank you. Well done, James. Um, <laughs> but then there's also, James, the weeping... 
Angels. That's right. Uh, so Stephen Moffat, who created that for the show, um, created a monster that was so iconic to the new fans of Doctor Who that when there was a poll done in 2012, it came on top as the best villain of Doctor Who. Uh, oh above the Daleks, which is very rare. It's the first time I think that's ever happened. So the Weeping Angels, for anyone that doesn't know, it's basically angels that are effectively weird aliens or something. And if you turn your gaze away from them or you blink, they get closer to you and they get closer to you and get closer to you yeah. until they catture like you. Like grandmother's footsteps. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. What time is it, Mr. Wolf? Yeah. And if they capture you, they don't kill you, but they send you to another time on Earth, and you're just stuck there, and you, there's no way of getting Ooh. back. So yeah, it's okay. basically a death to some extent. Also, if you're playing Top Trumps, then they have the same terror as Adolf Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> wow. There we go. Well, that puts I, them in context. Thank you. I've always had a problem with the Weeping Angels as a monster. Oh, yeah. Because I think if we had them now, there'd just be a queue of people closing their eyes in front of them saying, Could you send me back to when I could buy a house? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I know, but 1981, <laughs> Manhattan is fine. Yeah, exactly. But so Stephen Moffat was actually inspired by an original statue that he saw that looked so scary, and he had this idea of what mm. if that kept encroaching on me. So years later, he decided, having told his son about the story, to go back and show him the weeping angel that had inspired this. And they went there to the exact <gasps> spot, and it was gone. Uh, <laughs> was it of an old slave trader or something? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is when the atom bomb was dropped on Hiroshima, George Bernard Shaw wrote to the Times in disgust. He was upset that there was an unnecessary B at the end of the word bomb. Thank, thank well, you, George, for your <laughs> contribution on this horrific day. I know. It's like, you know, Churchill said it was going to save a million lives. Gandhi said it was the potential suicide of mankind. But George Bernard Shaw wrote, I can scribble the word bomb, barely legible, 18 times in a minute, and bomb without the B, 24 times in a minute, saving 25% by dropping this superfluous B. And he reckoned that it would save 131,400 seconds per year in the entire English-speaking world. How soon, how soon after the bomb was dropped did he send this letter? It was because a few it... weeks after. Jeez. Oh, okay, so he waited for the initial... I think that was more the post. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, talk about missing the point. Yeah, it was. Oh. Well, he was one of these people who really wanted to improve the language, so to right. speak, by uh, making spelling simpler. Pick your moments, though, mate. <laughs> like, what the hell? That's never. Has anyone ever written B O M for bomb? Was he was he trying to call back to something, or was he trying to evolve? Because so, yeah, it yeah. feels like it's an Italianish word. Bomb, I think it comes bomba. from the Latin bombus, meaning right. it's onomatopoeic. It's just like a, a noise. Bomb, bomb, bomb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's how it works. Uh, but anyway, I thought oh. we might talk about the Manhattan Project because Jenny, you are something of an expert. Is that fair to say or not? I would say it's not really fair to say because that is a hostage to fortune. However, I did mastermind and I picked it as my specialist subject. Wow. And I don't really get nervous very often. Um, I have never been so nervous. And I wasn't nervous about the subject, which I thought I knew. And I wasn't nervous about being... on. I'd already lost Pointless and I'd already lost, <laughs> uh, you know, whatever that other chasey one is. So I wasn't nervous about that. Mm. I was really nervous. You know how every year there's one person that gets zero points oh, sure. and it goes on YouTube and, you know, and I just 
that was just right in front of my eyes. In particular, I was like, yeah. oh, they look at me and they go, oh my God, there's a girl and, you know, she thought she'd right. pick this stupid topic. Yeah. Oh, and the headline would have been Colgan Bombs. I think, oh, oh right. yeah. 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 And I would have written to the newspapers going, <laughs> how are you spelling the word bum? You could have saved this much, honey. And wow. um, who was your host? It was one of the tall, white-haired, pointy guys. Humphreys. Yes. Because yeah. <laughs> everyone who watches Doctor Who has their doctor, don't they, who they grew mm. up with. For me, it's a Magnus Magnus is my <laughs> mastermind. Well, he did, he, you know, you do the bit of chit chat. Yeah. Right. And he said, You write about cakes. And I was mm. like, Occasionally. And he said, Why aren't you fat? And I was like, What kind of what a question? Are we, <laughs> where are we going yeah. with this? Wow. So I think. Uh, That's yeah. the Today program training kicking in. Just brutalise <laughs> the guest <laughs> before you ask the question. I, I can't help Andy but to notice that Jenny's description of tall there to describe the host was <laughs> oh, <yeah>. very useful. <laughs> Actually, actually, no, you're right, Dan. I don't think it was. Sorry, Jenny. What a rubbish way of describing Humphreys. He's sitting down. Great point. Um, so, yeah. the Manhattan Project. Yeah. yeah. Robert Oppenheimer. And he Oppenheimer. was an interesting cookie, wasn't he, Oppenheimer? He was. He's someone who was a bit of a troubling kid. I keep running into stories where his dad kind of has to bail him out at various different times to sort of save the career that he's hoping to have. He at one point was at Cambridge University, he was studying there, and he was furious with one of his teachers who was called Patrick Blackett. And Blackett who would go on to win a Nobel Prize himself. And um, Blackett was forcing him to do things that weren't theoretical physics. He was taking him away oh, from yeah. his interests. And Not so... applied physics, fucking hell. <laughs> so in a bit of fury, in a bit of rage, Oppenheimer, and this is the story, there's lots of different stories, but yeah. roughly this is it. He poisoned an apple and left it on Blackett's desk for him to eat and like then proper will kill you proper poison, poison. yeah <gasps> there's, there's a lot of murky sort of okay. territory to the story what we do know is definitely the dad stepped in and said if we promise to send him to a psychiatrist can we keep him going on Gosh. and if he keeps his meetings can he stay and they said yeah sure and so that's the only reason that Lenient he... Lenient in those days, wasn't it? I know. Very, very, very <laughs> and they wonder why people who go to these posh schools grow up to yeah, think that the rules insane. don't yes. apply to them. Yeah. yeah. It, is, it is crackers. Wasn't that the way that Alan Turing killed himself as well with a poisoned supposedly, apple? It yeah. was, yeah, yeah. Supposedly that's the story. Cyanide into the side of, a, of an apple. A lot of, yeah. lot of poisoned apples around, yeah. yeah. No, Oppenheimer was very uh, odd. So Oppenheimer is the person who, when they were setting up the Manhattan Project, they came to him and they said... Uh, we want you to head this up. And the the location, Los Alamos itself, was picked by Oppenheimer when he was on horseback going off around and he went, this would be perfect. <laughs> but even though he was given all of this high clearance and he was the head of this very secret operation, he was under constant surveillance because they also thought that he was a communist because he was very pro-communist. He was never card-carrying, right. but he, he'd said enough stuff that they thought, this guy's going to be stealing our secrets and sending them out. Well, the guy that did, there was a guy called Fuchs who was there who yeah. ended up and is possibly depending on how you look at it guilty of one of the worst crimes that has ever been done who did go and sell the stuff to the Soviets or he took it to the Soviets um, How would you compare against Hitler in the top Trumps please? That's an excellent <laughs> question James when you want to get back to his Sorry And nobody suspected him not only that they all really liked him because he had a car and he used to give them a lift into town all the time because oh. obviously they'd chit chat he'd be like oh, yeah come on I'll give you a, a lift to the airport oh, wow. and he caught all of them, not a single one. Super nice guy. Would he would he say, I'll just throw your briefcase in the back of the car while we drive? Exactly. And there was someone in the yeah. back of the car, like under a blanket, yeah. who would then read through the Can stuff. Can someone go and, and then... pick up Enrico Fermi? I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> God. That I was know. another uh, dad rescue moment for old Oppenheimer. He, um, he once got in a car crash because he tried to race a train 
and uh, oh, failed. Yeah. yeah. And what so, do you mean by racing a train? Is it, are they going alongside each other? It feels like he was trying to outrun uh, it and I've done it. As opposed to sometimes the, it would be like you're trying to cross the track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think he was just racing. I think he was right. just trying to get ahead of it and it left his girlfriend unconscious. And in order to Gosh. make up for this and turning into a big story, the father had to go over to the family of the young woman's house and gave a painting and an original Cezanne drawing as what? well. Yeah. I do I, that, by the way, that racing after the train on the M1. You know, the last yeah, bit yeah, of the yeah, M1, yeah. the train goes alongside the road. <laughs> I didn't know that, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, but my car, like, it's an electric car, so if I go above 70 miles an hour, I lose all my batteries, so I <laughs> tend to lose the race quite quickly. That's so funny. I really think that this film should probably be about his dad. Yeah, oh, the new yeah. yeah. Film. Well, it's a comedy if it's about his dad, isn't it? It's like, oh, Just Robert! <laughs> it's like a Dennis the Menace movie then. Yeah. Um, yeah, in this flat when he was growing up, there were three Van Gogh paintings and some Picassos too, and clearly some Cezanne's as well. I mean, there were very, very, very wealthy people mm. when he was growing up. That's but um, his... Uh, Dan, you mentioned the he was suspected of you know being a communist or, or, or of being suspect. He was approached by Soviet intelligence in 1943... And he said no. He said, no, I'm not going to tell you the secrets. But it still wrecked his career anyway mm. because he didn't tell anyone. So he lost his clearance, his security clearance in 1954. Feels like his cat's out of the bag then. I mean, they've got the bomb. Anyway, but it was over ties to communism. It was in the whole McCarthy witch trial period. Mm. Um, and, but the US Department of Energy did reverse their decision um, in 2022. Just just 55 years after he died, they said, you know what? You can have your security clearance back. <laughs> oh, wow. Very helpful. I mean, it was a gesture, obviously. Maybe yeah, he's still yeah. alive. You don't know what these he, atomic bombs are going to do to your... Yeah. I would say that there was a movement on to stop people smoking on film because it wasn't very nice. Mm. Oh, yeah. And it was kind of poo-pooed down. And then I watched Casablanca because I'd never seen it. And everyone is chugging on fags yeah. 100% of the time. And it's disgusting. It was mm. so disgusting. <laughs> and Oppenheimer never ever took a breath that didn't have a cigarette on it. So I'm really? feeling quite sorry for the actor. Killy, because, Killian Murphy, who's playing yeah, him in the movie. Yeah, because he never, he was a chain smoker. He never took a breath without a cigarette. Wow. That's what he says part of the prep of trying to become Oppenheimer uh, was basically disgusting. cigarettes and cocktails oh, were the, yeah, cigarettes yeah, and martinis. Really? Yeah. Oh no, no. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna have to go method, oh. <laughs> Gosh. It's really weird because I, when I think about the atomic bomb, and I think most people, obviously, we're, we see it as one of the worst moments in history. And there's obviously the arguments that people make that it may have saved more lives, like Churchill and so on. But to sort of actively celebrate it feels quite an odd thing to me. And if you do go to Los Alamos now, that is very much what they do. Like, it's, it's their tourism trade, isn't it? So right. it, there's a supermarket there with an atomic bar. You can get atomic salsa that you can is buy it? and purchase. There's oh. atomic bumper stickers. Uh, there's a... You can buy clothes for babies where there's a mushroom cloud on it that says the words I've been dropping bombs since day one oh. you know there's all these merch things and it feels a bit out of taste except I guess yeah. it's not to them right? well I don't know I mean I grew up in a world where we went to a big room on Sunday and there was a guy with nails in his hands so. <laughs> <laughs> that's true I went to Hiroshima I don't yeah. know if I've said this before but you um if you go to Hiroshima you can go where the bomb was dropped to the exact spot oh. and there's a sign on the wall and it says the first nuclear bomb was detonated something like a hundred feet above this point and then you sort of look upwards and you can imagine the exact spot where the bomb would have gone off and then detonated and wow. killed all those people it's really amazing um do you know about trinite trinitite 
Trinitite? I think it's Trinitite because it was the Trinity test. The Trinity test. Oh, okay. So it's not got three nitrogen atoms. That's why it's called. No, sorry, no. I just said it wrong. Yeah, Trinitite, I'm sure. And it was. Is it a type of stone? It's a type of glass made from the sand fused. The sand turned to glass when they tested the first bomb. Wow. And it's called. um, It's also called atom site. It's it's light green glass. And it was just left there. Is it radioactive? I think it is not very anymore, mm. but it's still a little radioactive. So most of it was bulldozed by the US Atomic Energy Commission um, and buried, you know, but some of it's still there because ants will bring it to the surface, these tiny beads of glass, because oh, wow. some of it's under the soil and huh. they're digging their tunnels and so it just gets pushed up. Mm. It's, it's crazy and it's, it's illegal to take it away now. Yeah. Um, but for a while, it was just thought, oh, it's just, you know, sand. It's just gl- sand turned to glass. Yeah, yeah. And so there was a period in 1945 and 46 where it was marketed in jewellery. You could get... Oh, interesting, yeah. Um, Trinitite jewellery. There was a designer who made some earrings and, and uh, hairpins from it. And there was an actress called Merle Oberon. She wore some of it to a fundraiser. Mm. Supposedly, to, this is quite dark, to discredit Japanese claims about radiation injury. Which I, so you know, well, I mean, an actress is wearing some of the sand-fused glass, so it can't be that dangerous. But uh, obviously, that's terrible. Yeah. Um, supposedly, I don't. I just because you've mentioned this, I haven't mm. gotten this written down. But using one of these bombs uh, is one of the methods that they've been thinking about it to try and get deeper and deeper, boring into the ground. It can get something like eighteen miles really quickly just through an explosion. But because of the um, oh. What? But that's supposed. Well, I don't know. As I say, I sort of like. No, I think like for instance, the Soviets were going to use nuclear bombs to open up waterways in the north of Russia, for instance. So right. that has been thought of in the past. Use nuclear for. Oh you know, no! One tell one of those stupid billionaires they're just going to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And what would happen though is that the surrounding casing of the hole would mm. have fused into this glass-like oh, substance right. as well. Okay. So it would be oh, like yeah. a really amazing slide, like almost immediately. <laughs> <laughs> that's. Okay, You've been spending you- too much time in soft places. <laughs> <laughs> Not coming to your soft place, Andrew. <laughs> Will six birthday at Los Alamos. <laughs> Okay, it is time for fact number three, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that the actor John Candy was born on Halloween. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, it's time for fact number four. <laughs> and his name's Candy. His name's Candy. And what do you get on Halloween? There you go. Is he, was he called John Skeleton Candy? <laughs> <laughs> A terrifying ghost. I wish. Uh, yeah, so uh, John Candy, uh, uh, most of you should know him. The Candy Man. Uh, well, what? no. John Candy man. The man, John Candy. Yeah. He was in Cool Runnings. He was in Cool Runnings. He was yeah. in Plane Trains and Automobiles. He was in Uncle yeah. Buck. He's one of the greatest comedy actors mm. that uh, Canada has ever produced. And um, I found this, by the way, in a really great book I'm reading at the moment called Wild and Crazy Guys, which is all about that period of when SNL in America exploded. So you had Steve Martin and Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray and Eddie Murphy and John Belushi and Chevy Chase and so on. And John Candy, obviously a big player in that uh, area mm. um, and yeah so it's just a little detail in that book and I thought I'd love to talk about John Candy great well we're not going to yep let's move <laughs> on to <laughs> other types of candy also born on Halloween John Keats just yes uh, really? so who in that episode I think I might have mentioned was possibly a grave robber John oh. Keats because he was a medical student and at that time they needed bodies to um, do their experiments on and possibly he could have been one of the one of the body stealers uh, Ad Rock of the Beastie Boys. Oh, yeah. Beastie Boys. 
Knives. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sydney yeah. Park, who's an actor from The Walking Dead. Okay. Born on Halloween. Born on Halloween. Okay. Uh, yeah. And Kirk yeah. Noble Bloodsworth, who was the first American sentenced to death to be exonerated post-conviction. So was supposed to be executed, oh. and then it turned out DNA testing meant that he hadn't done it, so he got off. And the Halloween link is that he's got blood in his name? Death. Oh, yeah, blood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come off. on, I was really stretching here. Yeah. yeah, I felt the <laughs> That's an afternoon's work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's unusual, because fewer people are born on Halloween than... On is other that days so? around the Do year. people kind of hang on or or push through? It's or really try miserable and in February. It seemed the obvious. It's in January and I'm really miserable. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to have sex? Not really. I was so nice. confused. <laughs> like, Jenny doesn't know when Halloween is. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, actually, in February, that is the one of the most common days. Valentine's Day is a very common uh, day for course, births, yeah. uh, oh, which is when my also. daughter was born, actually, on Valentine's Day. Mm. But there's a 3.6% increase on births in valentine's day and a 5.3 percent decrease of spontaneous births on halloween is that like the christmas thing where it's just that hospitals are a bit quieter and i think it's a bit of that perhaps the other thing is that cesareans is a big difference right you wouldn't not book a cesarean for halloween would you like if you were given three dates to choose you might decide not to go for halloween really they'd have to do emergency ones obviously don't don't forget that in some places not necessarily here but in some places that's quite a big drinking night um Mm. so you may not possibly want a bunch of student medics (laughs) 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 so yeah that's a thing wow that's very cool. I love it. Yeah. Um, can, can we talk about Candy? Yeah, okay. Yeah. No, Dan, you've got a lot of stuff on John. No, Candy. I just want to quickly just say, because he died very young. He was 43 when he died of a heart attack. And it's, uh, he was, he was, you know, he was in Home Alone. He was in, there's so many seminal movies of the 90s uh, that he was in. He was uh, known as Sweet Tooth when he was a kid. So he did love Candy as well as he was growing up. All kids love Candy. All kids love Candy, <laughs> but he was called John Candy and he was called Sweet Tooth. Are they all called Candy and Sweet Tooth? No. Um, he, um, he wanted to be a sports star that was his big thing oh, yeah. and so he had mm. an injury which meant that he couldn't do that he played afterwards. American football right yeah he played American football so he had the physique which was trained to be someone who was going to play that game so all the cast members of Saturday Night Live and all the other things he did always used to say that if you saw um, John Candy and you approached him people like Dan Aykroyd say this he would lift you up with one hand vertically and spin you around like a pizza like was what? being prepared yeah he used to every one said that if you Come saw on. John Candy he would lift you up with one hand, hold you above his head, and spin First you of around. All, American footballers don't do that. No. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, is that he he had a physique whereby lots of other people say that one of their favourite things to do was was to act like an NFL ball. And if John Candy came into the room, he'd throw you hundred yards. <laughs> What's the? No, they would run at him, jump at him, tuck, and he would catch them as if they were an NFL ball. Come on, these, was, and these um, are grown adults. You know, Ackroyd six foot three. He you was know, an offensive are... linesman in American football. I read. Right. So that means that he's basically a blocker. You give the ball to right. your quarterback yeah. who's trying to do something, and he's trying to stop everyone from coming towards him so he must have been big he was he was a yeah he was tall i mean he was six foot three himself he um he was a big guy and but he was also just he was physically ready to catch humans yeah, i just don't <laughs> think any of that stuff happened it did. <laughs> multiple people said it like it's not it's not like it's a yeah like he a fan put, saying i it. did actually to be fair i was looking a little bit at john candy i did read that if like if you ran at him he would put you on a big wooden pallet and he'd slide you into a an oven <laughs> 
horrible. It's just like I think they're exaggerated stories. <laughs> just, these are the stories. These are the stories they say. Maybe it was gingerbread. <laughs> um, should we talk about candy? What? Candy, yeah, candy. yeah, John Candy. Oh and my god. So, no, 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 no. <laughs> well, I'll just say one really sweet thing is that when he died, um, again, he was very young. He had a heart attack while he was making a movie um, in New Mexico. Did he die from the atomic bomb? Oh, was he in that movie that Andy was talking oh, about yeah. where people had a heart attack? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow, lots, lots to chew on. Um, <laughs> but he, he, had a, he had a funeral at Sunset Boulevard, and then they went down to the cemetery and they took the 405 three-way, and it was complete, completely clear. They had no idea why it was completely clear. Mm. And what it turned out was is that the highway patrol had stopped all road access to anything but this, and it was their choice to do that. And it was them tipping their hat to say, we loved you we miss you and it's because in 10 of his movies and you know he didn't live that long so it's a short time he made mm. these movies he played a law enforcement officer in 10 of these movies and oh, so they felt like there was a, a friend that they'd lost you know one oh, of them yeah anyway R.I.P. Mm. John Candy I know I'm a bit late in saying it but um, yeah mm. condolences to the family <laughs> alright do your candy right, now candy. you candy <laughs> Andy give us some candy um what I was just thinking Jenny you're from a great confectionery nation I Scotland am. yes we you have know. some tonics on the table we have some tonics in front it's very exciting we've been very good at in. not diving in I feel yeah, yeah. 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 I'm opening one now okay yeah, great. I might do as well yeah okay when everyone's finished um okay so get this this is a sort of scientific thing about sugar mm-hmm. people who are from northern Europe are some of the most sugar sensitive people in the world and there might be a proper gen- an evolutionary reason for this. What do you mean by this. sensitive? Do you mean as in it's bad for us? No, or as in so it can, d- can it? detect it. Oh. Can detect it more easily. Mm. So this is really interesting. There are particular variations in a sugar-sensing gene, and people from northern latitudes have that more than people who live in tropical areas. And the theory is, one theory is, that it's not certain, obviously, but... In higher latitudes, really sweet fruit and veg are a bit less common. Yeah. And they're, often, they're necessary to survive. It's not like in tropical regions where you have really sugary sweet things and it's, it's easy to find them and, and survive. So maybe if you move north, you will benefit from having that sensitivity. Like if you ate a, like carrots and parsnips are quite sweet. Yes. But if you, can't, yeah. if you can't detect that, then you might not realise and you might not grow those foods or you might not seek them okay. out and you'll be less likely to survive. And so, thrive. Jenny, you're from further north than the rest of us around this table. Do you feel that that's true? Do you know, that does... Well, I'm very wary of things that feel true. <laughs> but that does actually kind of feel true. And whilst it's kind of touching in a way, it's also horrendous that the number one operation performed in children in Scotland is tooth extraction. Oh, really? wow. Is it? So, um, wow. I read that you know like how dogs are good at detecting things. We might come on to that later. Oh yeah. Um, but everyone thinks that you know like dogs have got amazing smell compared to humans, which they yeah. do. But it's for certain chemicals, and for certain chemicals, humans are better. And I think like oh. for instance, if you were to put a bar of chocolate in the middle of a field and train the human to look for it, and train the dog to look for it, the human might come out on top. Wow. Because wow. we're really good at looking for sugar and looking for fats really? and stuff like that. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. I don't know if that's true. Yeah. We might come on to that later. <laughs> Do you know, I was looking for what's the most popular 
Candy. I hate that word. Mm. Do you say sweets? Sweet. Sweets. Yeah. Yeah. My husband says lollies because he's from uh, from New Zealand, and my children say bonbon because they're from France. Right. So, Sorry, can I just stop and, and just... <laughs> I think the way that you're eating this Tonics tea bag, <laughs> Jenny, yeah. oh, you do it upside down too. No, that's how this, I have this it. This is basically what my OnlyFans is. <laughs> <laughs> so Jenny has taken... If you know what a tea cake is, it's marshmallow with a bit of biscuit on the bottom of cake covered yeah. in chocolate. Jenny has sort of separated the cake and the, the marshmallow and it's starting I'm to... I'm now terribly self-conscious. You're like, you're like turning it into a naked burger where you just take the buns off and leave them on the side. Well, you know, just shoving it all in my gob doesn't work very well. No, Jenny, I do the same thing. There we go. Oh, the same method. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, you've just, oh. you've just bitten into it. No, I haven't. I've done it carefully. I know carefully. what I'm doing. Yeah. I debase it. And by the way, Andy's <laughs> family are from Scotland as well. Mm. Yeah. Ah, exactly. you know, the old skills, they kick in. Genetic. Wow. Yeah. Um, you were speaking about teeth stuff, Shelley. This is an interesting thing. Candy floss was popularised by a dentist. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> mm. mm. yeah. Actually, do you know when you were talking about John Candy, you know mm. nominative determinism, how tedious it is because it makes us all look like really boring <laughs> humans. Literally made us our fortune on this podcast. Oh my God. We, we, we get a lot of correspondence about it, so please be careful. Like, the inbox will just be recovering from the Doctor Who onslaught. <laughs> say and i think i hope this is not too controversial because it is true uh -huh. that um dentists first names are vastly overrepresented by for women denise and for men dennis that's so good oh, oh, that's so nice. it just, it's just such a kind of you're, you're a big meat sack takes the easiest route out of anything you can possibly think of human um it was called fairy floss at the time yeah i just have to say it was william j morrison teamed up with a nashville confectioner in 1897 and despite being president of the Tennessee State Dental Association, right. no small thing. Um, Was he trying to drill up more business? Drill up. Very good, James. Nice, that's good. <laughs> Sometimes you've got you to gotta be the one to acknowledge <laughs> how good it was. Drill up in that sense. Nobody. <laughs> Oh, God. I don't know what came up and be then. Yeah. Well, you didn't even give us time not yeah. to laugh. Drill up, dude. Do you know what uh, candy floss is in Greek? Oh, oh. no, I don't, actually. Well, it translates as old woman's hair. Oh. Because oh. it's wispy. Yes. Yeah. And in Afrikaans, I love this, it's ghost breath. Lovely. Yeah. Do you know what the Mexican, Mexican term for eye candy is, if you say they're a bit Ooh, of eye no. candy? No. I taco. Stop it. <laughs> it is. It's I taco. That sounds like a new Apple product, doesn't it? <laughs> the revolutionary I taco. After just six hours of charging, you can enjoy the taco for ten minutes. Uh, I was reading about my favourite confectionery, which oh, yeah. is popping candy, which mm. I genuinely think is completely underused in the world, mm. and I think you should really pretty much put it on everything. And it was invented by a guy who was trying to make an instant soft drink. This is amazing. So he's trying to make something like, let's say, Coca-Cola. And what his idea was, he wanted some, like cordial, you would have something and you would pour the water on it. And then when the water comes in, it turns automatically into a fizzy drink. Mm. And so he got some sugar oh. and he heated it up really, really high, put it under a load of pressure, added a load of gas into it and then cooled it down. And in theory, what a great idea. As soon as you put the water in, the gas will get released and it'll be really fizzy. It didn't work. That's so cool, though. But he started eating it and it gave him these sort of explosions in his mouth. Oh. 
So his experiments went wrong and he went, I'll just stick it in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> good, good science. That's yeah. science. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And then that so everyone, cool. all of the other people in his office saw that this was happening. They used to have competitions to see how much they could put in the mouth mm. of this stuff. They would get bigger and bigger rocks of it and see how much they could do. Um, but immediately, as soon as they went on sale, pop rocks, they're called in America, mm. there was rumours that children's stomachs were exploding. Oh, God. I guess the first fatality was... Yeah. yeah, it was all over the place. Um, and the Pop Rocks company had to take out full-page advertisements in more than 40 publications around the country to say, <laughs> these will not make your child explode, honestly. So uh, and the head of the company wrote 50,000 letters to school principals saying, can you please stop that's banning these things? marketing <laughs> genius. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. That's it. Almost certainly won't kill you kids bring it does anybody want to hear my worst Japanese Kit Kat flavour yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know there's now over 300 yeah okay wow uh, and I was looking down the list and there's some pretty bad ones in there I think um, European cheese Oh, oh wow. What is European cheese? There's no such thing as European cheese. I believe the Dutch would like a word with you. <laughs> well, no, no, sorry, there are European cheeses, but there right. is not one archetypal European cheese. No. There but are, I guess, in Japan, you might yeah. lump a sort of yeah. yellow pungent cheese as a European cheese, right? Yeah, like, like dairy's not cheese. that big in Japan, right? Yeah. Or China. Mm. Well, American cheese comes in single shrink wrapped slice form. Yes, but it's different types of cheese. But that's that, that. But what? But no, no. Sorry, no, no, no. I'm not having it. Here's the, the thing. The, the this cheese. is this is something interesting. I think, and I might butcher this, but I'll try my best. So, um, when cheese first came to Japan, because it's not wasn't traditionally eaten over there, they called it something like dairy tofu. Okay. Something like that. And when tofu first came to France, they called it soya cheese. Brilliant. I think that's right. That's really good. That's distracted me from my anger about the obvious <laughs> Thank say, you. Yeah. James always manages to find a fact to calm you down. It's really <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Get two on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well done, um, James. Yeah, well done, James. <laughs> <laughs> um, have you guys ever had an aniseed ball? Yeah. No. Okay. What's that? What's that tiny bit in the middle? Right. Is that what you're going to tell us? No. Oh. Uh, I, uh, that's an aniseed seed. I think, oh, I think okay. it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can um, you describe it to me? I don't know. So it's a small, round, purple ball, very, very hard, and it's layer after layer of, of slightly flavoured licorice um It's horrible. Boiled. Yeah, right. they're very unpopular with lots of... They're quite 1930s. You Not know, gobstoppers. No, it's like a very small gobstopper, but it's quite strong tasting and aniseed, right? Mm -hmm. So, okay, this is very cool. They slightly helped to win the Second World War, aniseed balls. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. In 1939, uh, the war office, they wanted to build a limpet mine that you could stick to the hull of a ship, yeah. swim away from, and it detonates later, right? Yeah. And the, the war office, they contacted a science magazine editor called Stuart McRae, and he contacted someone he knew, an inventor called Cecil Clark, who was also a caravan maker. Detail. They started working together, right? They had the details of the mine, and they had the explosive, and they had the way to attach it to the ship. So they were doing really well. But what they needed was something to keep apart the hammer and the detonator, right? Uh -huh. So that when you're swimming up, when you're a frogman swimming up, you attach the mine and you prime it. It doesn't go off immediately. So right. you need something Got it. that slowly dissolves and right. separates the hammer oh, and the detonator. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And Clark's kids were eating aniseed balls, and they tried them out, and they found they dissolve in about half an hour in water. Yeah, yeah. So, but you didn't have to suck the grenade. No. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a mouth activated. Yeah. 
So Clark and um, and McRae, they they bought every aniseed ball in Bedford, right? <laughs> and they, like they just because for their experiments. But the problem was they also needed um, something to keep the, the aniseed ball dry until the mine was in place, mm. right? So they also went around buying all the condoms in Bedford. <laughs> And they got it. Like, Imagine getting to the supermarket checkout. <laughs> You've just got a trolley full of condoms and balls. Uh, Clark said we got a completely undeserved reputation as sexual athletes because we were. And then, anyway, the, uh, but they worked. The anesthesi balls worked in this mine. And the, and the, the MOD commissioned them. The War Office commissioned them, and they started buying anesthesi balls directly from the manufacturer. And I love this. Clark also commissioned some miniature condoms from a rubber factory to cover the firing mechanism. Oh. <laughs> Imagine about the pharmacist to begin with going, do you have any smaller <laughs> I am smaller. No, 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 smaller than that. I love how we've gone from like the biggest bomb the world has ever known. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, it is time for our final fact of the show, and that is Andy. My fact is that there are only three newt-detecting dogs on the planet. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, this is a woman called uh, Nicola Jane Glover. She's Sorry, a, she one of the three slugs. <laughs> she's a dog owner. All right. And um, she's got a spaniel called Freya, and another dog called Nuki. And um, this is this was in a, a an article in the Guardian recently, but it's actually been going on for a few years. So um, uh, I think at least in 2018, Freya was detecting newts. And the reason you need to detect newts is that there's a species called the great crested newt, which is protected. And if you're developing land, you have to show that there are no newts there, so because you know they don't want to endanger them, and it's really hard to find them because they spend a lot of their time underground and in the water because they're amphibious. So uh, uh, Nicola Glover, she and her colleagues, they they trained Freya the spaniel to detect live newts, and Freya can do it really really well now, ninety percent detection rate. Wow! And um, it's a good method of uh, saving the newt, saving the newt, and saving a lot of time and fuss and you know newt, newt detection work. Um, yeah. And the other thing about the story, oh, there's a third one who's Rocky from Flintshire, who was also trained separately in 2020. Um, there was a correction in the Guardian article about the dogs, which I think you saw, Jenny. This article was amended. An earlier version said that Great Crested Newts reached an adult overall length of 17 metres. <laughs> <laughs> I did, this, that's the one I read and I thought well why do you need a dog <laughs> this, this should have been 17 centimetres <laughs> um, yeah I read an article from 2011 that said that they were starting to do this um, oh. with the with the crested newts but also desert tortoises, kiwis, kakapos, bats cheetahs <laughs> I'm not sure why uh, brown tree snakes, seals uh, and bed bugs so dogs were being taught to look Whoa. for all these things for various different reasons. Right. The cheetahs, I think, they're looking for the scat for the poo. Not is, actual. Not actual. Oh, one went past uh, about five minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. Who's a dog person? Who's a cat person? I'm cat. a dog. You're a cat person. Yeah. Does it, it's not a bit embarrassing when someone goes, oh, my dog just discovered the ancient caves at Lasso. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, my cat ate a curtain. Yeah, my cat doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I would say I'm probably not really either, but I've had cats mm. forced upon me, so... Yeah. But the, don't, don't, I, I went following the story in terms of things dogs do. Unbelievable stuff all the time. Yeah, you're, the a, dog, cat, you're a dog person, aren't you? I'm a dog, well, yeah, but my dogs are crap, eh? They're absolutely you've got, rubbish. You've got dogs. I've got two dogs, each idiots, who <laughs> fight seals on a regular basis, unsuccessfully. 
there's lots of seals where we live. Wow, and, so um, cool. Yeah. Well, it's not cool because the seals just go, see you later, yeah. and <laughs> swim off, and then you have to go and rescue your dog, who's a moron. But th- they're constantly... But maybe you've, you've not given them the chance to work out yeah. if they're, like, semen-sniffing dogs, or if they are... <laughs> well, that's, why that's, that's, that's on my list. Why that's on my that list. Be, why would you, that be first on your list to say? <laughs> to <jump there? laughs> Is that what you say to anyone who's walking a dog in the park? You're like, have you ever given it a chance to be a semen sniffing dog? (laughs) I've got a pocket full of anisee balls and I've got another pocket full of mini condoms. You've got a semen sniffing dog? Let's talk. Is that with an A? Hmm? Are you semen, spelling that semen. with an A? No, 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 no I don't think that is. No, no, no. no. Jenny, you write um, romantic novels, don't you? <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever had a, a semen Pretty sniffing? Much just here for the inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, type, type, type. <laughs> she was a girl from the city with a semen sniffing dog and a heart of gold. <laughs> so, okay. So, it's used for you know. I mean, unfortunately, it's used for terrible, terrible, terrible reasons. Crimes, yeah, 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 for crimes and so on. But oh. that's an important thing. They they need to sometimes have a dog detect whether or not someone might have recently have let some semen out because it can find the traces on it and it can detect as little as 0.016 milliliters of seminal fluid so they're very good at it and so your what i'm saying is your dog (laughs) might not have been given the chance to show that it could smell semen or find find whale poo because they do that as well they sit on boats and they can find whales i'd say clever dogs like spaniels spaniels are like real teacher pleasers perms and they're one of your dogs kind of just terrifying half cougar things (laughs) that we found in a lay-by are they mutts uh, no, they're, they're terriers. Um, oh, okay. So, okay. Um, but they're kind of they're theoretically ratters, mm. um, but they're kind of they're just a bit rubbish. Uh, what does that fit in your? I'd need to see a photo. There's a game called Hound Pooch or Much. Any almost any dog fits into those categories. Oh, hounds! So, they're hounds. They're hounds. Yeah. Okay, yeah, 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 okay. yeah. Um, when um, Elvis <laughs> sang, "You ain't nothing but a hound dog," yeah, he was playing that game, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He tra- he'd already recorded a version called You Ain't Nothing But a Pooch Dog. <laughs> rubbish. Um, there was an interesting story about um, a man I'd never heard of. Really, really amazing. He was a German diplomat. He was sort of sided on the side of the Nazis at the time. And okay. um, he, well, he was an attaché for the, for the Nazis. He's called George Ferdinand Duckwitz. Duckwitz. <laughs> Must have had a rough time at school. <laughs> Ferdinand Duckwitz is asking for a spoonerism, isn't he? Yeah. Um, he's, an, he's an amazing character. He sits in the world of Oscar Schindler. He was someone yeah, who yeah. helped okay, to okay. save a lot of oh, refugee right. Jews who were stuck uh, in Denmark. And um, supposedly 95% of their Jewish population was successfully taken out of the country to a safe place in Sweden because of this guy. Uh, and he risked his life to do it. So he's an amazing character. Right, and you called him a fuckwit, James. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry, Duckwitz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to trivialise his yeah. memory. <laughs> not well done, James. <laughs> okay, yeah. so where do the, where's the dog coming in here? The dog comes in here because when they were taking them out on all the boats and they were hiding them in the cargo, mm. a lot of dogs had been trained up in order to sniff out any humans oh, that were gosh. on board. So this was a problem that they had. So what they did was they came up with an idea that they could deceive the sniffer dogs by placing semen in the... <laughs> <laughs> You're giving me that look like it was heading there. They created what was a mixture of dried rabbit blood and cocaine, and they gave it to the fishermen. And <laughs> Wait, they gave it to the fishermen? Yeah, who, like... would, who would coat it in handkerchiefs 
right, sorry. And then they would put the they would hold the handkerchiefs and the dogs would race towards the handkerchief. They would ignore any of the other smells that were on the bed. Wow. Yeah. And um and so as a result, they would have no other interest in what was going on here, and that would become the main focus. Why the cocaine? It. I mean, rabbit blood. I guess dogs <laughs> yeah. like, ra- like dogs hunt rabbits and well, the the rabbit blood. Rabbit blood is to attract them, and the cocaine is to. Does it just blast their interested in, Yeah. Well, no, so they're, they're talking really about themselves. Boring, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All night. I can tell you about some rabbits. I caught a couple of rabbits. A lot of big rabbits. A lot of, a lot of great rabbits. I caught. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It supposedly temporarily would um, knock, knock out, out their smell. Wow. Yeah, so that God, was, that's so clever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So he's a huge hero. He saved uh, seven thousand two hundred Jewish nice. refugees. Wow. Yeah. Uh, can I say something about the great crested newt? Oh, oh yeah. Yes. yeah. All right. Um, so they have a very colourful belly. Okay. No one really knows why they've got a colourful belly. Hmm. If you're a newt and you're colourful, often it's because you want people to know you're toxic. Uh, and it turns out they are t- toxic. Their warts contain chemicals. And there was a naturalist called Eleanor Ormerod who tested it by biting a live newt's tail. Oh my um, just the tail and the tails yeah. will grow back and stuff uh, and then she recorded all of her symptoms so she was <laughs> foaming at the mouth she had shivering fits uh, and so she proved that they were toxic it's a lot of scientists putting stuff in their mouths <laughs> <laughs> um, so we found out that they are toxic but the weird thing is they're newts so they walk around a lot with their belly pointing to the ground oh, yeah and so no predators can see their bellies anyway. And so no one knows still to this day why they have a colourful belly. That oh, is so strange. Yeah. Are weird? you sure it wouldn't moles and stuff come up and eat them? The moles, yeah. They could. <laughs> um, um, the um, they swim. They, they swim. swim. So maybe fish from could beneath be fish. predators. Yeah, from beneath. Well, but you're right. Yeah. Normally you'd feel like birds would be yeah, yeah. descending Eleanor on them. Eleanor Omerod, anyway, she's really famous. She was an agricultural entomologist because she was living in Victorian times. So right. uh, couldn't really be a professional scientist in those days if you're a woman. But she found a kind of a role where she could use her skills and apply them to agriculture. So, you know, like if people's crops are dying, she could say, well, you should get rid of these newts or you should get rid of these moles or whatever, stuff like that. And she was so famous that Virginia Woolf wrote a story about her called Miss Ormerod, which is named after her. Yeah, just a pretty cool person. That's very cool. <laughs> Things women had to do to be scientists in those days. Yeah. Yeah. I know, I know. Um, just go and bite this poisonous. This <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we know it's poisonous, but we don't know how poisonous. So, Eleanor, if you could... Uh... I'm going to mention one last thing before we wrap up. Yeah. don't know if it's useful, but just in case you're wondering, we've been talking a lot about dogs sniffing humans, and I yeah. discovered that there's a job whereby you as a human can sniff a dog. <laughs> Are we if looking anyone's... for the dog, or is that the idea? <laughs> no. Oh. Is it a chocolate lab? <laughs> <laughs> this is for people who work in factories that are making dog food, um, because one of the things that uh, owners hate about dog food uh, is the breath that it can leave on their dog. And sometimes, oh, okay. and they make a very concerted effort not to make food where chemicals are altering the smell of the mouth of a dog so right. that it's very pongy. So one of the jobs that if you work in one of these factories <laughs> is to go up and sniff dogs mouths who are experimenting with new tastes and new formulas and so on and then if a dog uh, has ejaculated recently you can all no not that um, i just love the, how excited the dogs were to get their jobs <laughs> yeah. i'm a taster at a dog food factory yeah <laughs> 
the other dog's yeah. like, oh, wow, that sounds awesome. That sounds cool. What, the, so they, <laughs> they sniff you? Yeah. <laughs> God, that's so... That's not a lovely job, no. I think. Can I ask another question? This You won't know the answer to this, but yeah. you might. It's not just important, presumably, that their breath doesn't smell. You don't want their farts to smell bad. Oh, I guess, right? Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Really good point. You don't want that so on the other do side. do you not have someone whose job is to smell all the dog farts? I, I it feels like you must. You must, right? They're probably... <laughs> it's probably... <laughs> you must. It's you probably, must. I think he's right. It's probably the unspoken That's extra. What it, That's what they tell you once you got the gig. They say, by the way... <laughs> There's a second hatch over there. Open that one up. <laughs> Okay, that's it. That is all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we've said over the course of this podcast, we can all be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland, James, at James Harkin, Andy, at Andrew Hunter M, and Jenny, at Jenny Colgan. Yep, or you can go to our group account, which is at No Such Thing, or our website, no such thing as a fish.com. All of our previous episodes are up there. And uh, just a quick reminder, Jenny, your latest book is out now. It is. It's called The Summer Skies. The Summer Skies. And of course, all of Jenny's other books are available to buy as well. And so do check them out and also check out her Doctor Who stuff as well. There's numerous Jenny Colgan books that are out there and audio adventures. Jenny M. Colgan is the... Jenny T. Colgan. Jenny T is the pseudonym if you want to look for those so yeah uh, also we are playing a live show for Fish on the 14th of September at King's Place part of the London Podcast Festival and we're going to be live streaming it so you're able to buy live stream tickets for that by going to no such thing as a fish.com slash podfest check out tickets there and of course check out Club Fish it's our secret members club where we do all sort of bonus extras compilations drop us a line which Andy does which is a show where we go through all the correspondence that you've sent in. It's a really fun place. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But that's it. We'll be back again next week with another episode. We'll see you then. Goodbye. Goodbye.